0: If you have your Bibles, open it to Luke chapter 1. Again, like Caleb said, thank you to everyone who is staying home uh, today. We sent out an email today saying, if you're just feeling under the weather, weather at all, please stay home. So we have more viewers online than normal. Uh, we just think it's wise to do that. I know for me, I was really sick last week, or I guess two weeks ago now. I don't even know time anymore. Two weeks ago. And it wound up being strep throat, um, but I took. Covid test after Covid tests, and I was fine. But some people are just sick. Other people have Covid. So we're just we want we uh, we're a small church, and we can we can pass that stuff around. So thank you that we're just being wise about that. Or maybe even being a small church is in our advantage. I don't know. Anyway, so uh, if you don't have a Bible, our deacon Jim Hall has one. So you just raise your hand. He'd be happy to give it to you right now. It's our gift to you. You don't have to give it back. Merry Christmas. Now we're doing a new series called The Characters of Christmas. So it's this whole idea. Jesus is the main character of Christmas. So we're going to lead up to him. We're going to be talking about him every week. But also what's really cool is there's always other characters in the story of Christmas. So we want to zero in on that. Jesus, he's our hero. He's our teacher. He's our rabbi. He's our savior, our Lord, our King. We're going to talk about that every week. But Thankfully, this is encouraging as we learn about the different people in the story of Christmas, because it reminds us that God uses normal, ordinary people like you and like me for the kingdom of God. So we're going to be in a lot of Luke chapter one tonight, uh, but let's zero in on 67 through 80, and then we'll kind of come back and give you some context. It's going to be a great night. So let's look at verse 67. Then his father, Zechariah, his, his father, who's he talking about? John the Baptist, uh, or some people call it John the Baptizer. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. By the way, so many people think Acts 2 is when the Holy Spirit came down, which is true, but the Holy Spirit existed since time began, since before time began. Sorry, we believe in the Trinity here. And so the Holy Spirit, you see him active in the Old Testament as well as active in the New before Acts chapter 2. So we see the Holy Spirit working here and prophesied. Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel. This is the main verse of tonight. Why do we bless the Lord? Look, because he has, underlined this, visited and provided, underlined redemption for his people. We're going to end with that. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Talking about the Old Testament. Salvation, this is being saved from our enemies, who are our enemies, we believe, according to the text, according to the Bible, we have at least three enemies, the world, the systems of this world, the flesh, our own evil desires, and Satan himself and his demons. And from the hand of those who hate us, he has dealt mercifully with our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant. If you read the Old Testament, it's story after story of God's people just messing it up and God still being merciful and gracious and giving us another chance, which I hope you can testify happens to you today. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham, which is in Genesis 12, to grant that we, having been rescued from the hand of our enemies, would serve him without fear. I love that. I wonder if maybe all of us this week can meditate. What does it mean to serve God without fear? I know Todd Miller and his family in an area where the gospel isn't really accepted. They are serving God without fear. We can mention people like Todd Miller. There are other many names. We cannot mention their name because it would put their life in jeopardy. But praise God for missionaries. Praise God for you, that you're able to serve God without fear. Verse 75, not only without fear, but in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. We believe eternal life starts the moment you believe in Jesus. And the beautiful thing with that is we have his presence now. We're not just waiting for the presence of God when we go to heaven. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. Who's he talking to? John the Baptist, his son. Again, I'm preaching before I'm preaching here. It is so important for the Father, for parents to speak hope and life and prophetically speak into the future of your children. He says, you child will be called a prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. We're going to look at that. To give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. I hope and pray every week we gather, we at least allude to the reality Jesus came to forgive us. This is the essence of the gospel. Because of our God's merciful compassion, has nothing to do with how great we are, has everything to do with his mercy and his grace. The dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who, this is talking about Jesus, to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is what we call testimonies, right? We talk about ways that we were once living in darkness, but then Jesus, when we met him and we gave our life to him, we were ushered into this peace that passes understanding, this way of life the world cannot fathom. In verse 80, the child grew up and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. What a great reminder for so many of us for what God loves to do. He loves to prepare us before he makes us go public. Some of us, we feel like our platform's not where it should be. John the Baptist knew his life had meaning, but he first had to develop his character in the hiding place, in the wilderness. This is so good. The title for tonight's message is Zechariah and the Mission of God. Let's pray. Father God, I just ask you tonight, We give you our time, we give you our talents, and we give you our treasure. God, as we look at Luke chapter 1, I just pray that our hearts would be encouraged. God, I know just as a pastor of Passion Creek, so many of our members this past three, four weeks, six weeks, I just feel like we have gone through more grief and more heartache and struggles than we ever have. So God, we're asking for your hand and your mercy tonight. God, I'm grateful that the Christmas message is not just blind hope. It's not just everything is going to be always great. God, I love that leading up to Christmas, their story is that of silence, that of despair, that of darkness. But yet in the middle of that pain that we acknowledge, that we know is here, that we don't hide, that we don't run from. God, in the middle of that, you give us yourself, which gives us hope, which gives us peace, which gives us love and gives us joy. I just pray that we'd hold on to that as we embark on this Christmas series together. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, amen. Amen. I ask myself the question, do I really need to do another Christmas series? Now for you, it's not a big deal, but like I have to do this every year. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, You do the Christmas series, and then you start thinking, do I have to do this again and again? And that's the question I ask myself every November, and I like to say I I prepare Christmas in January. I don't. It's November that I start thinking about what I'm preaching in December. And again, the problem is a lot of us have heard the Christmas story. For me, I don't like rewatching Christmas movies. In fact, maybe that's the only exception. Most movies I just can't watch again. It's all about the suspense, and the suspense is gone. And so I even know, as a pastor, bringing this word, you're like, I've already heard of this before. Zechariah, maybe not. Maybe that's why I picked that tonight. But what we need is not just a word from last year. We need a word for today, especially all the different griefs and pains that we've gone through. And so I've been praying, thinking through what should we preach on. I was trying to flirt with the idea of doing something else, but I was kind of reminded the Christmas message really is powerful. And I think in the the middle of the kind of season that we're all in, I think, uh, man, it's the word that we need. And then I also thought, if I can't keep preaching Christmas every single year, you guys should probably fire me. Because, like, if you can't preach Christmas, you probably can't preach at all. Don't say amen. All right, so as we begin this, I want to give us three reasons why we focus on Christmas. Why are we doing a Christmas message? Number one, we celebrate the first coming of Christ. John chapter 1, Eugene Peterson paraphrases it. He says, the word, this is the logos, this is God, became flesh and blood. And I love this phrase, and moved into the neighborhood. This is called the incarnation of Christ. A lot of us in church world, we talk about the crucifixion, which is so important, which is the only way we can be forgiven. But we cannot run past the beauty, the thought of incarnation. The fact that God himself came down in the most vulnerable form, came down as a human, not just as a human, as a servant, as a slave to all, as it says Philippians chapter 2. So when we gather here, we're going to look at this. We're going to look at people who were longing for the first coming of Messiah and then seeing how they react when they see Jesus has come. So we get to look back, but we're watching these people as they look forward and see it happening in the now. This will bless your soul if you really lean into this. This has so much meaning, and we're going to talk a lot about that tonight. The second The second reason we focus on Christmas every year is it helps us anticipate the second coming of Christ. If you do Christmas and you're only focused on baby Jesus, you're doing it wrong, right? What we're supposed to do during Christmas is to say, okay, Jesus has come and he's coming again. The first coming of Jesus stripped sin of its power over us. No longer has dominion over us. But the second coming of Jesus will strip sin of its presence. Right now, when we submit to the Holy Spirit, sin is still present, but it doesn't have to have complete power over us. The second coming of Christ, sin won't even be present. There will be no more tears, no more crying. So Jesus has come, and we're looking forward to the encore. We're looking forward to him coming again. And so in our prayers this month, I encourage you. Really meditate on the first coming, but then let that encourage you. He's done it once. He's going to do it again. We just offer to the Lord, you're going to do this again. And that gives us hope. The third one, which maybe, especially in a typical evangelical church, you don't hear often, we pray for the third coming of Christ. Anybody ever heard of the third coming of Christ? So the third coming of Christ, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, this was quite a long time ago. He used this term and kind of coined it. And here's what it means. It doesn't mean Jesus is coming like a third time. We believe the second time is it. Everything will be taken care of. But what the third coming means is he was saying, okay, we already know the second coming. But the third coming is when Jesus comes into your life. So if you never believed in Jesus, maybe tonight the third coming is you actually believing and surrendering for Jesus the first time. But also, if you grew up and you, you, you have already received Jesus, you've already been baptized, the third coming is that miracle you're asking for. It's that that danger you feel. It's that that anxiety you have. And Jesus has a way of coming and giving us peace that passes understanding because he gives us himself. Luke 18, he says, Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. We're praying for a third coming. Christmas is a reminder that we're not just serving a God who showed up in miracles 2,000 years ago. We believe God shows up miraculously today. Amen? Amen. In fact, this is actually leads us to the first point that we're going to look. This is kind of one of the main ideas of Luke chapter 1. Write this down. God's delays are not God's denials. God's delays are not God's denials. In Luke chapter 1, we see the first time God appears to his people in 400 years. What I love about the account in Luke, he doesn't break his silence with Mary and Joseph, which are the parents of Jesus. He breaks his silence with Zechariah and Elizabeth, who are the parents of John the baptizer. Now here's what we have to, when we're studying the text, we believe here in the Bible, we have to keep submitting ourselves to the authority of God's word. Why would Luke start the Christmas story with John the baptizer? The last word the Israelites ever heard from the Lord was a promise from the prophet Malachi, chapter 4, verse 5, that prophesied that the prophet Elijah would come to prepare the way for the Lord, for this long-awaited Messiah. Okay? So that's the last thing they heard. So for 400 years, the last thing they heard from God was look for Elijah. And now we see here in this text Elijah is a picture of John the Baptist. That's why Luke is saying, let me catch you up. You've been looking for this guy. We're going to start here, and then we're going to move to Jesus. Now, this was 400 years ago. As Americans, we literally can't fathom what was 400 years ago. I know, like, we go to Bisbee, Arizona. What was, was that made, like 1891? And we're like, this is so ancient, like 1891, you know? 400 years ago. What happened 400 years ago in 1621 the pilgrims set sail on the mayflower and per, and landed at plymouth rock literally 400 years ago about right now was the first thanksgiving ever okay it was only 245 years ago that we signed the declaration of independence so like 400 years ago is a long time ago i even looked this up the multiplication sign wasn't even invented yet 400 years ago okay so 400 so when you think about these people of god they haven't heard from god for 400 years. Can you imagine? Silence from God for 400 years. But Zechariah and Elizabeth, we're going to see in verse 5 through 7, were faithful to God. They believed and they continued to serve. Why? Because they believed this principle. God's delays, 400 year delay, are not God's denials. Let's look at verse 5. It says, In the days of King Herod of Judea, which we're going to look at Herod next week, There is a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. Some of your translations say Zechariah. It is what it is. Now, his wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So we have Zech. I'm going to call him Zech. Are we cool with that? We're close, okay? We have Zech, who is a priest. We have the uh, daughter of Aaron, Elizabeth. So these are two pastor's kids. And she's become a pastor, so pray for them, okay? Just a lot of damage can be done being a pastor's kid as I speak as one. Now, pray for my children. Verse 6, this is just good context to know. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. What are the main commands? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. They did that. Verse 7, but they had no children. Because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. This is the most polite way to say they were old, okay? Luke is nice. Now, corporately, we have context here. It seems like God has forgotten the whole nation of Israel. King Herod is ruling. This is not from the Davidic line. This is Rome oppressing Israel. So the people are saying, God, you've forgotten us. We're losing Not only that, not only corporately, all of Israelites were suffering. Personally, it seemed like God forgot Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, here's the reality. In every single generation, infertility is painful. Infertility is full of grief. It's one of the hardest things to go through. Me and my wife, we have not gone through that. We've had miscarriages, and those are really, really sad. But I want this to to show Zechariah and Elizabeth, they they were full of sorrow. But even beyond that, in Zechariah's time, not only was it just sad that you didn't have children, but it was literally, they believed, which was bad theology, that it was a sign of disobedience. It was a sign that God doesn't have favor on your life if you don't have children. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth, they know in their hearts, they're serving the Lord. But to the whole world, they believed that they must be sinners. They must have done something wrong. Obviously, God hasn't shown them favor. Friends, let us never have that kind of theology, right? God is sovereign, but there's so many different things at play. If you struggle with something, it is not because God hates you. It was a source of public shame. And again, they were old. And so really recognize Zechariah is probably feeling very hopeless. The hope for a child is long gone. But he's reminded himself, God's delays are not God's denials. So again, for the sake of time, I'll summarize for you 8 through 17. Zechariah, we learned is a priest. And 24 times a year, you have a team of priests. They're kind of selected. It's a rotation that would go to the temple. The temple is where they believe the, the presence of the Lord was. Now, each group had 300 priests in it. So 24 times, 300 times, all sorts of, I mean, it's a ton. And so there's a ton of priests. And it was the greatest honor for you to get selected to be the one to go into the Holy of Holies and light the incense. But the odds were in your favor. You can go and be a priest your entire life and never get the lottery of going into the Holy of Holies. But we see in 8 through 17, Zechariah is selected. His name is picked. His life is changed forever. His legacy would always be Zechariah, the man who entered into the presence of God himself. So again, 400 years of silence, he has to put on this special robe. He has a rope, have you guys heard of this? There is a rope that, is, that he puts his leg on and walks into the Holy of Holies and they time it. And after a while, if he hasn't come back out yet, it's because he has some unconfessed sin and he died in the presence of the Lord. And so they drag him out. So this is like honorable, but also terrifying, okay? You don't wanna get this wrong. So he goes and now, again, 400 years of silence, the angel of the Lord appears and he says, you will have a son. And there's three things. I'm gonna go Baptist on you real quick. It's not in your notes, but three R's because I like to alliterate. Number one, he promises the angel that you would have a son who will cause the whole world to rejoice. Which is why we sing the song. The weary world rejoices for honor. Yeah, whatever, right? So you're gonna rejoice. Why? Because there's a revolution beginning and John is the one who's gonna proclaim it. The second thing we see from the angel is the son would cause many to repent. John's main message was turn from your sin. He was preparing the way for the Holy Spirit. He was allowing people to get baptized. The third thing, so we see that because of the son, the people will rejoice, the people will repent, but also the son would be the one that helps start the flame of revival for generations to come. He would prepare the way for the church to be born. So how does Zechariah respond to this incredible, oh my goodness, prophecy, God has been silent, but now I've decided to finally speak and it's to you, Look at verse eighteen. How can I know this? Okay, what about the idea that there was an angel there? Is that not enough? Okay, he doesn't think that's enough. How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel, "For I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years." That's a good husband, you know. Not like my wife is. Oh, no, she's well along, you know. Emphasis on well, you know. And so, verse nineteen, the angel answered him, "I am Gabriel." That's how you know, who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news, which is where we get gospel. Verse 20, now listen that Gabriel says, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place. Why? Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Now, if we're not careful, we can read, easily think the angel's response was punishment. Zechariah should have had more faith, which is true. Just a few verses later, we're to compare and contrast. Luke is brilliant here. So we see the angel go to uh, Zechariah. Now we see later in the story, which we'll look at in a couple weeks, um, we see the angel go to Mary. Mary is overwhelmed, but she still responds in faith and says, I believe, let's do this. I don't know how, I don't know why me, but let's go. Zechariah says, you picked the wrong guy. Like you should yesterday's priest, he's young. Me, I'm an old, you you know, I'm old, okay? And my wife is well along, you know? And so he has these doubts. And so the angel sends Zechariah what he needs, which is silence, which most men need. Amen? And to the woman Now, here's what it was. What first appeared as silence from God now has turned into silence with God. And it's important we don't see that as a punishment. As Americans, we cannot imagine anything good coming from silence. So as a church, we've tried to really implement the practice of silence and solitude. And I know a lot of you, you hear us talk about it and you don't ever do it because it just sounds weird. But research has actually showed the importance of silence. Uh, Some of the studies show constant noise leads to cognitive overload, what some people would call brain fog. If you have brain fog this month, it might be because you're just, it's too much Christmas music, which I don't know is possible, but you know, it's too much noise. It also reduces our ability to make decisions if it's too noisy. That's why when I'm backing up, I have to turn off the radio. Anybody else? It like helps me see better, which doesn't really, but I'm like, I need to, I just, I can't think right now. Let me turn this off. It also depletes our willpower. Some of us, we go way to, to music, to, to the news, to, to all this noise when we wake up. And no wonder why we don't have the ability to read our Bibles. It overwhelms us. We're over, we begin in an overwhelmed state and it triggers our anxiety. Research shows this. Henry Nouwen has a great quote talking about the importance of silence. We have to remember this in the context of Zechariah. Our task is the opposite of distraction. Our task is to help people concentrate on the real, but often hidden event of God's active presence in their lives. So look, real, but often hidden. That's like the message of Christmas for many of us. It is not how to keep people busy, but how to keep them from being so busy that they can no longer hear the voice of God who speaks in silence. So we read Zechariah is being punished The reality is God is saying, I want to speak to you. I want to work through you. And so stay with me. You're going to be silent with me so you can really understand what I'm saying. That's why I've mentioned this before, and I got worried that you guys would be a little upset. But some people have really gone back to me and said, like, I think that's so true. I think the future of the church is less of a concert, which I'm not against. But I think what we need more of is like a cathedral, a place where we're just in the presence of God, where we turn down the volume, we're just in silence because the enemy attacks us with noise. We counterattack with silence so we can give God room to speak. See, God wasn't punishing Zechariah's unbelief. He was preparing Zechariah's belief. Write this down. God isn't punishing you. God is preparing you. I want you to think through, ask the Holy Spirit, how can that apply in your life right now? How can it be in your season where maybe it feels like punishment? It is actually preparation. Now, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, here's the essence of the gospel. God's punishment was put entirely on the cross of Christ. This is why I can say in full confidence, if you're a believer in the way of Jesus, you will never be punished by God. Jesus did all of that for you. He took care of it. That's why the cross, he says, it is finished. It is finished. The payment is complete. But God will do a lot of preparing, which often feels like punishment because we don't have the wisdom to see how it's actually helping. Maybe some people use the phrase pruning. So Zechariah, he has the task, get this, to prepare the way for the child who will one day prepare the way. And this is such a monumental task that God is saying, okay, we need to make sure you're ready. So the blessing you're going to get is silence with me. This is good news. This is a reminder before we move on. If you have breath in your lungs, God is not done with you. He is preparing you for something more. God is not punishing you. He's preparing you. Mainly, what is he preparing us for? For his mission of saving the world. Now, this is the part that makes this message distinctly Christian. I'm going to be honest. So far, I have said everyone, I mean, God, his delays aren't God's denials. I think every religion would like, like that. Hey, that sounds good to me. I think every religion, every person would say, God isn't punishing you. He's preparing. Yeah, sign me up. Here's what makes this distinctly Christian. Here's the part of the message that some of us we see as a stumbling block and we cannot submit to the way of Jesus. And this is our call to submit to him the parts that may not seem so good to us. Verse 67, Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited, underline that, and provided redemption, underline that, for his people. A word on each. God has visited every other religion, believes that the whole point of life is an attempt to get to God. And so a lot of religions, they would kind of use as an illustration that life is like a mountain. God is on the top of the mountain. And so there's many different paths. This is why a lot of people don't like Christians because we say Jesus is the only way. A lot of other religions say, no, there's just a lot of different paths. There's different roads through the top of the mountain. So Religions, they, they believe what they're doing every week. Let's get together. Let's talk about different rules and restrictions and disciplines. And if we work hard enough and we do enough good, we will find the right path. By the end of our life, we will find ourselves at the peak with God himself when we die. There's only one problem with that type of theology. It's impossible. If you try to have enough strength and moral clarity and all these things to get up to the mat, It's impossible you will constantly be going the other direction. So the only hope we have, this is the beauty of God visited. The only hope, this is why Christmas is so good. We need God who's on top of the mountain to come down to us because we ain't getting there ourselves. This is the essence. This is Zechariah after months and months of silence. He's going, God, the God man is coming down because we cannot get up. This is the good news. This is what makes Christmas different. But here's the hard part. God visits us, but he doesn't force us. So what we have to do is to allow Jesus, surrender to Jesus and allow him to carry us up the mountain his way, in his timing. And this is what a lot of people say, no, no, I'm just gonna take my own path. I don't like to surrender. I don't believe in this. God, I think I have a better route. And our Christmas message is saying this is the only route. And here's what he does by visiting us. He provides redemption for his people. What is redemption? Literally, the, quote, the, the definition is the deliverance of evil by payment of a price. This is a good lesson for us in the government. Nothing is free, right? Somebody has to pay for it. It's probably his most political I'll ever get. There, I know that. The, nothing is free. Redemption, re- excuse me, redemption is knowing. Sin has severe consequences and it's not free and it's not cheap. Sin, what it does, if you read your Bible and if you just live life, you recognize sin brings death. It brings disease. It brings plagues. It brings 2020. It brings division. It brings hatred. It brings murder. The worst, it brings separation from God. So the scriptures say that sin demands justice. We want that. When somebody does wrong, we want justice to be served. It just gets a little bit hard when we recognize we're the one who has to pay the payment. And the reality is outside of Christ, it demands that we are eternally separated from God in order to pay that. Merry Christmas. Now, here's the good news, though. If sin is never bitter, Christ is never sweet. So for nine months, Zechariah ponders the last 400 years and he ponders his own life of silence and defeat and sin. And I imagine probably a lot of that time there was bitterness, there was anger. He meditated on his own condition and the condition of mankind. His eyes were open to see how much he fell short. And God, in that silence with him, opened his eyes to see Our only hope is for God to redeem us for us because we cannot pay the penalty of sin, but the God man can. And so that's why he goes and breaks into songs and thanks God that he has visited us to do what we can never do and to redeem us so we don't have to spend eternity trying to redeem. Let me get theological with you as we close. Here are a few ways I don't, what I don't like about Christmas messages, it's like, the, like a Hallmark card, like, oh, like nice and warm and fuzzy. Like, I want to give you theological truths tonight and we'll be done, okay? Here's a few ways Jesus, I'm gonna get theological, a few ways he redeems us from our wickedness and our hopeless condition. Let's, let's look at the screen at a couple of these. First of all, Jesus redeems us as our substitute by paying the penalty of sin in our place. This is the essence of the cross. We believe our sin deserves punishment. Jesus steps in the way. Being a literal like substitute, you go in, you take the punishment that I deserve. When we talk about how great it is that Christmas has come, Jesus has come to die, to do exactly that, to be a substitute. The next thing, there's so many, but I'll just cover a few. Jesus redeems us how? He redeems us as our victor by defeating our enemies and removing all foes. Who are our enemies? The world, the flesh, the devil. Reality is without Christ, we are always in bondage to those things. No matter how great your intentions are, no matter how much you love your family, you're still gonna hurt them. No matter how badly you wanna live, you will still die. This is the reality of life and it doesn't feel good and I hate it. But the reality is, Jesus has come to bring us victory, an eternal victory. And we praise him for that like Zechariah. Not only that, Jesus redeems us as our sacrifice. By offering Himself to purify us and remove our filth, our sin has made us dirty, it has wicked, we are dead. What we need is to be purified in order to enjoy the presence of God, and the only way is to send Jesus, who is the Lamb of God. And that was John the Baptist's job. He says, "Behold the Lamb of God, who has taken away the sins of the world." That was John the Baptizer's job. Will we heed his message? Will we praise God for the actual reality of what Christmas has done? I got another. Jesus redeems us how? As our second Adam. The first Adam brought death and brought a curse. The second Adam, we read Romans 5, he brings us new life and removes the curse of death. We will still die in the flesh, but our spirits will now live eternal life with Christ forever. And not only that, our bodies will be resurrected. God will make all things right. This should be good enough news, we're going to keep going. Jesus redeems us as our mediator by making peace and removing our alienation from God. We are separated, God and man. How? Who's going to be one who steps in the gap? The only mediator who can, the God-man. Fully God, fully man, and brings us back together. We're no longer alienated from God. We no longer have a hopeless future. We can have peace not only in heaven for eternity, but here and now. Can you let me do one more? Jesus is our Redeemer who frees us from the slavery of sin and removes us from all bondage. Friends, because Christ, if Christ never came, you and I would be enslaved to sin. The scripture says, everything we would do. We would either commit commission. We would do the wrong things and hurt people and hurt ourselves and and offend God. Or we don't do the right things. We don't help people. We don't love people. We don't love God. And not only that, it looks like we're doing the right thing, but it's always with the wrong intentions. We are stuck in bondage. And maybe tonight you feel that. If you haven't received Jesus, I believe spiritually this hasn't happened yet, but it can happen today. And that's why I think we do Christmas gifts Because this whole thing called faith, it's not about receiving these benefits of all these things I listed by passing a test and being good enough and getting up the mountain. It's about receiving these blessings by placing your trust, by just receiving the gift and opening it, knowing you did nothing to deserve it, you did nothing to earn it, but you're still going to grab it and partake in its blessings. This is the message of Christmas. And Zechariah's like, this is incredible. My son gets to be a part of this. We get to be a part of this. The whole world is going to be saved. He came down, God himself, who has every right just to leave us in our sin and our Pitiful condition. He knew the only way to make this right was for him to come down in the form of a servant and die a shameful death so that you and I can have life. He is praising God. He's saying, We were once separated, but now we're joined to Christ, which you see in Ephesians 1. We were once deaf. We couldn't hear from God, 400 years of silence, but now we'd be given ears to hear, 2 Timothy 1. We were once dead meaning there's nothing we can do in our power to bring us life. No matter how hard we try, there's literally nothing. But now we're made alive in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2. Zechariah is saying, you don't get it. I've been silent for nine months. I'm starting to understand. Look, we were once lost, looking for our own hope of life, but now we're found, Acts twenty twenty one. We were once condemned in our sin and rightly so. We have done wrong and deserve punishment. But now we're righteous, Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation. We are once a slave. We do the things we don't want to do and we don't do the things that we want to do and we're a mess, but now we're no longer slaves. We are adopted as sons and daughters of the king, Galatians 3.26. We were once unclean, pitiful, full of filth, but now we're made holy and pure, Ephesians 5.25. We were once unfaithful, like Ezekiel chapter 17 or 16, where it talks about how we prostitute ourselves to all these other idols. We run after everybody but God. And yet God still makes the promise in Ezekiel 37, but I will give you a new heart and a new flesh. You will no longer be unfaithful. You will be kept by God. First Timothy even says, though we were faithless, he is still faithful. I got one more. I can go on and on and on for eternity. I think we can come up with these things. But you and I were once in shame hiding. Our, our own spouses don't even know who we are. We're trying to put on an image to the world because we know deep down our pit, our, our pitiful selves. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, we're once in shame, but now we're in glory. We have nothing to hide. We are pure. We are made righteous in his sight. Friends, I want you to see the real gift of Christmas is Christ himself, and he has done so much for us. What I love about this message, it's not everything will get better. It's okay. It's not really that bad. Zechariah's like, it's really bad. But God is really good. And there's going to be a lot of times where hope looks like it's lost. But then God comes down and gives us what you and I could never do ourselves. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful so grateful for the first coming of Jesus. God, thank you that you didn't leave us. You had every right to leave us. We don't deserve your mercy and grace and compassion and forgiveness. So thank you for coming down to make that right in your incarnation, which means you came down, in the crucifixion, which means you died in our place, and in the resurrection, which means you brought us new life. But God, I also praise you that you're coming again. Because God, although spiritually you have made us right, physically we're still a mess. Emotionally, there's still so much heartache and brokenness. People are dying too soon. Relationships are broken. That shouldn't be broken. God, people groups are being oppressed. The powerful get away with unrighteousness. There is division even within your church. It's ugly. So much of that, God, is because we're not submitting to what you've already given us. But also, God, we look forward to the second coming because there are certain battles, God, there's certain things, Lord, just life is still hard here. We look forward to the resurrection. We look forward to heaven, but goodness, it hurts. We, thank you, Jesus. You're gonna come again and make this all right. But God, I just pray for every person in this room that we would receive tonight a third coming. We get a new divine picture of your grace. God, that we would get a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit. For those who are struggling to be forgiven, I just pray that tonight they would be washed with forgiveness and they would fill it in their spirit. For those who feel like the church hates them or has cast them out, I pray that tonight they feel loved and welcomed into the people of God. For those who have bitterness and anger towards you or towards somebody else, I pray for the third coming to be restoration, to be reconciliation, to be a heart that is softened because of you. And God, we ask these things with full confidence because you've already come and we know you're going to come again. So would you give us that Christmas gift this season? You know what we need. Maybe it's silence or maybe it's celebration. Maybe it's something else entirely. Holy Spirit revealed that to us. But God, we, sur- we surrender to you and we thank you for this gift. I pray that every person in this room openly receives it. Nothing in my hands I bring Simply to the cross I cling. I bring no other argument. I bring no other plea but that Jesus died and he died for me. May that be the anthem of our soul. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, amen.